Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. And it's good to be with you for episode 106. And the major feature of this is my presentation to Tech Talk on AccessibleWorld.org all about iOS 12. And I appreciate Bob Acosta and the team for first inviting me and second giving me permission to publish my formal part, if you will, of that presentation here. If you want to hear the Q&A, you can, of course, go and get the archive, which will be up eventually from AccessibleWorld.org. So iOS 12 is the focus pretty much of today. We have a few listener comments as well, and we will get to those before the presentation. I do want to tell you some more good news. I tell you, my cup runneth over with good news at the moment. You may remember, if you've been reading my blog and listening to this podcast, that I kind of took on a really annoying thing that happened to me and some other blind people when it turned out that it was difficult to access a code to get into the online system to complete the New Zealand census form. And I started an online petition which called for an independent inquiry Originally, my idea was that the Parliamentary Select Committee, the appropriate one would probably be the Governance and Administration Parliamentary Select Committee, would hold an inquiry that people could submit on into the census. And I went and I had a talk to the Parliamentary Select Committee about this a couple of weeks ago. And if you go back to the Mosin Consulting blog, you will be able to read my remarks to that Select Committee. And it got a bit of coverage. It was on the TV all that kind of stuff. Well, I got a letter just before the big IRA announcement, actually. I got a letter from the Minister of Statistics, James Shaw, to say that uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be an independent parliamentary inquiry, but the government statistician, the chief government statistician, has commissioned an independent inquiry into the census. So I don't have any information at this point about the terms of reference and to what degree the public can submit on that independent inquiry. But it's good to know that there is going to be one. There'll be someone outside the decision-making process at Statistics New Zealand really having a good hard look at this independently and uh, telling them where they messed up. And goodness only knows there are many areas where things went pretty badly for them. And um, people are questioning now the validity, the, the usefulness of the census, because so many people didn't complete it this year. Some people even suggest we should have another one. Just scrap the one that went on earlier in the year and have another one. So it is good, you know, sometimes with advocacy, you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall. But every so often you do have a victory and every so often the wall moves. And I kind of think uh, that, um, you know, had, had I not bothered it, I just kind of shrugged it off and thought, oh, well, you know, what's new? Then we may not have got this independent inquiry. So I'm glad to have taken this on and to have had such a positive outcome. When I wrote first to the Minister of Statistics back in March about this census process, I got a reply. So bear in mind, I was writing about an inaccessible census process, right? And I got a reply as a PDF file that was an image. <laughs> so I wrote back to the officials from the minister's office and I said, hey, you know that letter you wrote me about the inaccessible census code? Well, the letter was inaccessible. And I got a letter about that too. And apparently they've had a review of their processes in terms of the, the way that they uh, create documentation in the office. So it's all been very good. Sometimes you do just have to stand up and hopefully keep your cool and stay polite, but you can make some progress. So feeling very pleased about the fact that we have some tangible outcomes to show from all of this individual advocacy. On that happy note, let's go to some listener comments. Hi, Jonathan. It's Megan Cheatham. I listen to your Blindside podcast, and I just want to congratulate you on your new job. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate that. And here is Magna in Norway. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly because I hate mispronouncing names. To present myself first, I am practically blind, 60 years old, working 50 plus as a pastor in the Church of Norway, the main congregation in this country. When I heard you describe your feelings after having used Ira to navigate in a large hotel in the USA, it reminded me of what I felt in the mid-1970s when I got my hands on an Opticon. It took lots of effort to learn and was very slow, but for the first time, I was able to read something that nobody had decided to make accessible for me as a blind person. 
perhaps IRA is a similar step forward on the path towards equal possibilities and independence for blind people. I have not tried it myself and have not done much lobbying about it, but I have discussed it with some blind friends. They are all sceptical, mostly due to the very high wages we have in Norway. Their opinion is that it will be too expensive to use. I do not know, but should not be surprised if an hour of IRA use with a Norwegian agent would have to cost $100 or $150. We have, though, a large welfare state, so it might perhaps be possible to convince the authorities that money spent on IRA usage to a certain degree is money saved on other budgets. I recently visited Ethiopia and talked to several blind people there. For them, IRA, of course, is a far more distant dream than it is for me. After having been a regular listener to your podcast for several years, I also want to thank you for your efforts to cover different aspects of life from a blindness perspective. This expression, by the way, is a bit unlogical, since without sight I cannot have a perspective. You are extremely knowledgeable and have extraordinary communication skills, so it has really been a pleasure to listen to you. That's a very kind message. Thank you very much. And you raise some interesting points. At the moment, IRA agents are all based in the United States. So that may uh, not be an issue. But of course, at the moment, IRA is an English language service. So there's certainly room for plenty of scope in the future. And it will be fascinating to see where IRA goes. Hello, Jonathan. This is Michael. Congratulations on your new role in IRA. The great service for the blind and visually impaired. I love the service. Two. It's kind of sad that you moved to Ira and、uh, start producing、uh, blindside less frequent as you、uh, used to. I do like the Blindside podcast, and I've been listening to it. I believe the from April of this year, where you discovered something like Ira, and pretty good. And I guess I should give the Mosen Explosion radio show a listen. Since that's still continued for the production period. Good to hear from you, Michael. And hopefully the music's not too retro for you on the Mosin Explosion, mate. Hopefully not too retro. Here is Nikki Kirk, who says in part in this lengthy email My question is that I noticed that when Judy was correcting her errors when using Braille screen input, as she backspaced, there was a little beep that I heard. I thought that this was quite handy feedback to have. But I don't remember at all anything in voiceover settings where one can set it up to do that. Usually, especially on the iPhone, I like as much feedback as I can get. If you, oh, there's me, Apple Watch telling me to stand up and groove. <laughs> I must obey in a moment. If you know or could find out from Judy where in settings that option appears, I would be very appreciative. Nice to hear from you, Nikki, and I can't resist observing that we covered this extensively in iOS 11 without the eye. There you go, shameless self promotion over there.、Uh, I use this feature all the time as well. I've got mine set up the way Judy has as well, so I didn't really think about it. What you do is you go into voiceover settings and then you double tap verbosity, and in there you can tell voiceover. To do a whole bunch of things relating to a whole bunch of things. And the setting that Judy has is for deleted text, and she's got it set to play a sound. And that's exactly what I have it set to as well. So you can do this for capital letters, for deleting text, and there are different sounds for links as well, or different behaviors rather for links. So do go in there, it's fun, and customize the verbosity to your heart's content. And if you would like to be in touch, I think for what will be the last episode of The Blind Side in the current weekly format, then you can drop me an email to theblindside at mosen.org. That's theblindside all joined together at mosen.org. You can write something down in the email or you can attach an audio file.
And you can call the feedback line on 719-270-5114. That's in the United States, of course, 719-270-5114. Our place, our issues. The Blind Side with Jonathan Mosen. I always enjoy being invited along to speak to Tech Talk on Accessible World. And you can find more about them by going to accessibleworld.org. That's AccessibleWorld.org. They not only do Tech Talk there, but a number of other audio presentations. And in recent times, they have switched to Zoom, which is really great. They asked me to talk about iOS 12 recently, and I want to thank Bob and the team for letting me use the formal part of my presentation on the Blindside podcast. Here it is. In this case, I'm here to talk about iOS 12, which is Apple's latest major offering, It's kind of like clockwork. iOS will come out with a new version annually. And since iOS 7, I have been writing a series, the iOS without the i series. And this is where right from the moment that the first iOS developer beta comes out, I start to take a look, work out what's new, and write it all up in a way that hopefully makes sense from a blindness perspective, because there are a lot of publications and uh, guides out there that look at iOS from a regular perspective, but how is it for accessibility? How do you do some of the new things with voiceover? And this is something that people seem to have come to appreciate every year. We get a lot of people buying it, and I certainly appreciate that. And so iOS 12, without the I, is available in the Mosin Consulting Store at mosin.org slash iOS 12. That's M-O-S-E-N dot org slash iOS 12. You can make a purchase with PayPal, which also accepts any major credit card if you don't have a PayPal account. And then you can download the book instantly so you can get the gratification right away. At some point, it will also be available from National Braille Press in hard copy Braille and in a range of other electronic formats. So from our store, from the Mosin Consulting Store, it's available in EPUB and in PDF formats. So I'm going to give you a bit of an overview of iOS 12 And we will, of course, open it up for discussion because you've probably been running iOS 12 for a couple of weeks now and you've got opinions and tips and tricks of your own. But for the guide that really goes in depth, then I highly recommend the book, of course. So this is iOS 12. And this one has a little bit of a different flavor, different tone to it compared with previous iOS releases. What we're seeing, I think, is a maturing of the smartphone market in general and the iPhone and iOS in particular. It's now been around for around about 11 years. And that's given Apple a chance to implement a lot of the really obvious features over the years. So there is that it is a mature product and some of the innovations that we will see are less kind of hey wow than they used to be. That is certainly true. What's also happened, I think, is that Apple has been listening Like many others, I've been blogging for the last few years about the deteriorating state of reliability within iOS. We have been hit by some of the reliability issues in the same way that everybody has, but we've had our own unique set of reliability issues pertaining to accessibility and voiceover in particular. We've had situations in recent years where some people couldn't even answer phone calls when the phone rang, when a new version of iOS came out, We've had people completely locked out of their iPhones because they're deaf blind and Braille didn't work. Not only did Braille not work for some people, but it even caused the phone not to work, to to crash whenever VoiceOver was run with a particular Braille display connected. And there are very serious issues. And while it is important to be grateful for the amazing things that Apple has done, and there's no doubt they've led the path in terms of mainstream accessibility and others have really had to catch up and follow Apple's lead. No question about that. We can be grateful while being also mindful of the fact that our money is as good as anyone else's. There are certain countries, mine included, that have laws regarding a product having to be fit for purpose. So as long as we're being constructive and we're being clear about the issues that need addressing and why they need addressing, it isn't Apple bashing to say that Apple has dropped the ball big time in a number of key areas with reliability in recent years. Now, early in the year, there was word coming out from various reliable sources about a pretty significant visual makeover to some aspects of iOS 12 that people have felt 
needed some attention. And then word came, again from reliable sources, that the decision had been taken that they were going to scale way back on these new fancy new features, that there would be fancy new features, and we'll talk about some of those in this presentation. But there'd be fewer fancy new features than was originally intended, and that there usually are. So what do you do with the development resources, the people who write and test the software, who no longer have these cool new things to worry about? What you do is you put them on making the operating system more stable, less buggy. And I think that is the big thing about iOS 12. It is a really reliable piece of software. I'm not saying it's bug-free because I have never used a piece of software that is bug-free, but it's the most reliable initial release of iOS that I have ever used. Even when Beta 1 came out, it was in pretty reasonable shape and it has improved over time. One of the things that I think is really worth mentioning, particularly for our audience, some of whom really struggle to buy these iPhones. Getting an iPhone is a major investment for a lot of people. It's a big sacrifice. People have to give other things up often to get an iPhone because they know the potential of these things, but it's not easy. And so you try and keep the phone around as long as you can. This is one area where Apple has a huge advantage over Android in the sense that the phone that was manufactured all the way back in 2013, the iPhone 5S, can still work with the latest operating system, iOS 12. You probably need to get a new battery if you've still got the original battery from 2013 by now, but assuming you have a new battery in the device and you're running iOS 12 on an iPhone 5S, you should notice a very significant performance improvement over the previous version of the operating system. And that would apply to a number of the earlier phones like the iPhone SE, the iPhone 6S, etc. I would expect you to find that it's a lot less sluggish, things are responding more quickly, it just feels more snappy, and that's a really beneficial feature. And uh, it, it, I guess, deals with some of the criticism that has been justifiably lobbed at Apple in recent times about performance and about the battery scandal they got themselves into and, and a whole bunch of factors like that. So that's the first thing you will notice when you upgrade, and you probably have already, to iOS 12 on older devices. It's rocking nice and fast. Often with iOS releases, you have a series of themes running through them. Stability is one big theme, stability and speed improvements in iOS 12. So that's the first theme dealt with. The second theme that is running through iOS 12 is this idea that you need to take your life back. There's increasing awareness of screen addiction and the damage that it can do. When you get a push notification, particularly certain kinds of push notification, it activates the same sort of centers of your brain that a hit from drugs, certain sorts of drugs, I'm told, um, might also give you as well. It's, it's highly addictive, and some people find it very difficult to stop looking at their phone, looking for those likes and acknowledgements, and also being fearful in some cases of the reactions that people may post to something that you have posted. There are a lot of very unhappy people around because of these devices and because of social media. And make no mistake, social media outlets like Facebook design their products to be addictive. The whole concept of the like button is probably one of the most significant innovations in recent memory because of the way it hooks people in. It seeks that acknowledgement. So screen addiction definitely is a factor. And it's particularly a factor for young people who may not have the support systems or just the experience to cope with that on their own. I'm not saying it's a young people's issue exclusively by any means because there are many people of all ages who have this issue of screen addiction. And it's interesting and sad to see how many young people wish their parents would put down the phone at dinner time and, and actually talk to the kids. It does seem like social networks like Facebook are actually becoming a meeting place dominated by older people now that younger people are getting off social media. But it's not just social network notifications that are the problem. A wider problem is this thing called FOMO. Yeah, FOMO, fear of missing out. 
And so you have a lot of breaking news notifications. You have all you know, different messenger services and they're pinging you. And what happens, even if you are self-disciplined to some degree, if you're writing, for example, and you get a notification, it does steal your focus to some extent and it makes you less productive. We went through a phase as a species for a while there where we were proud of the fact that we could multitask and do all this. The, the reality is, and there's all sorts of brain studies to demonstrate this, human beings were not meant to multitask. The best thing that you can do if you want to get something done and get it done really well and efficiently and effectively is allow yourself, say, 50 minutes or even a little less if you need to of intense concentration when nothing interrupts you. And this is what I've had to do with my books and how I've been able to get so much done. And then allow yourself 10 minutes to get up. You know, I, I, I get into a rhythm with my Apple Watch. So when at 50 minutes past the hour, when my Apple Watch taps me on the wrist and says, get up and move, man, I get up and I move. And then I take my 10 minute break and I check my notifications and I catch up with anything. And then I go right back, turn all the notifications off for another 50 minutes and get things done. Now, it sounds like that is a bit arduous. But it actually gives you more free time in the long run because you're focused on those things that you really need to get done exclusively. And then you can treat yourself when you've got the job done and the quality of your work is much better this way. This is exactly why in Windows 10, they also have a feature called focus mode. What We're becoming increasingly aware of the damage that all these notifications and distractions are doing to us. So this is a big theme of iOS 12. And there are three components to the solution that Apple has come up with in iOS 12. The first one is a reworking of notifications. And it seems like almost every year there is a major reworking of notifications. Notifications have been a bit of a weak spot in iOS. And it's something that Android has traditionally done much better. With notifications in iOS 12, I think that Apple has really finally cracked it. And they have a very good formula. The default is that notifications are grouped together now. So if you have a lot of Twitter and Facebook going on, these notifications will be grouped by thread. The messenger application Slack works the same way. Notifications are grouped together. You can also tweak whether notifications are delivered quietly or not. And you can stop a notification from appearing altogether or from the notification center iOS is also using some Siri intelligence to note when you don't seem to be interacting with a particular kind of notification. And if you do that for long enough, after a while, it'll say, you don't seem to be taking much interest in this notification. Do you really want to keep seeing them? And you can say, yes, I do. And at that point, it won't bug you again, but it's trying to be helpful. Apple has also made a lot more flexibility available to third-party developers in terms of letting you specify the kinds of notifications from within an app that you get. So as developers implement this, what you will find is there will be more than just the blanket, yes, I want to receive notifications from this app, or no, I don't. You'll be able to specify particular types of notifications that interest you and particular types that don't. The second area where they've made some changes in this regard is do not disturb. And do not disturb is a little smarter in iOS 12, but it's not quite as smart as I would have liked. For example, I would like to have the ability to automatically put the phone in do not disturb from the beginning to the end of a calendar event. And you can do it manually, but you can't do it automatically. But it is a step in the right direction. To manage all of this, we can go into the control center. Lift for con control center, airplane mode, switch button, off. Use 3D touch to show more controls. Double tap to toggle setting, actions available. I'm going to just flick to the right because it's not too far to go. Mobile, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, iPhone, Democrats question cabin, rewind 60s, play. Fast, lock rotate. do not disturb, switch button, off. Use 3D touch to show more controls. Double tap to toggle setting, actions available. Now we're on Do Not Disturb and we have several options from which to choose. One is just to double tap it. So if I double tap Do Not Disturb, on, it just toggles it on like it always has done. And if I double tap it again, off, it's switched it off now. I'm going to swipe down now. Open controls. And you can open controls. 
So you will have heard the voiceover hint saying that you can use 3D Touch for more options. And it also said that actions are available. The actions here are the same as doing a 3D Touch. So if you double tap Open Controls, you'll get the same series of controls that you would had you 3D touched the icon. In other words, performed a firm press on it. I'll flick down again. Activate. And default. we're back to activate. So only two choices. I'm going to flick down. Open controls. And double tap open controls. Do not disturb heading. Here are the new do Swipe not disturb options. down to select a custom action for one hour button. Until this evening button. Until I leave this location button. Until I leave this lo. So we've got for one hour. That's pretty self-explanatory. Until this evening, because as I give you this presentation, it's the afternoon. If I were to do this later this evening, it would come up with until tomorrow morning. And the Apple Watch has this feature as well. You can also have Do Not Disturb switched on for until you leave this location. That is very handy when you're going, say, to the movies or to a concert, anything like that, where it's appropriate just to leave the phone alone and enjoy reality, dude. Enjoy reality. So you can do that. Now, there are other options that are available, too, that are contextual. One of them is, if you're looking at Do Not Disturb just as a meeting is about to start or has started, one of the options for Do Not Disturb that will pop up is until the end of this event. So you can do that manually, and I find that very good. I do a lot of conference calls, and I suspect I'm about to do a lot more. And so it's nice to be able to just go in here and say, until the scheduled end time of my events, just don't disturb me with notifications. There is another aspect to the new Do Not Disturb features. And this is something that may ring true with you if you keep your phone by the bed and you wake up a little bit dozy in the night and you wake up just enough to pick up your phone and check the time, because for many people, the iPhone has become their bedside clock. But the trouble is that when you check the time, your notifications come up and that wakes you up again. And for this reason, iOS 12 has a bedtime mode. You have to put do not disturb on a schedule. So say from 10 a.m. until 7 a.m. maybe. And when you're on the schedule, you can then activate bedtime mode for that period and you can ensure that you don't get notifications when you just want to quickly check the time in the night and find out how much time you have left to sleep. Now, none of these things are kind of set in stone. You can always override any of these features if you really want to. It's just designed to set up a few more layers to prevent you from being bombarded by notifications. So Do Not Disturb is the second pillar of this digital health strategy, if you will, alongside notifications. And the third is screen time. Screen time is the big one. And we don't know whether Apple was already working on this, but they got a pretty stern letter, an open letter from some of their shareholders saying, look, for the sake of the kids who are getting addicted to these things, we need more control over what people are doing with their phone and when they do it. Some of it is for self-control. Some of it is a parental function. Let's have a look at where this lives. I'm going to go to settings, which I believe is about settings. One new item. Yeah, there we go. And I'll double, I'll tap, double tap. Settings. Do not disturb button. We'll just flick through here. Screen top channel. Screen top. There it is. Button. When you first install iOS 12, you'll be asked if you want to enable screen time or not. At a basic level, if you do enable screen time, it is going to calculate the amount of time that you spend on your device every week. And every Sunday, it will furnish you with a report on your screen time activity for the last week. You can find out how many times you've picked the phone up and put it down. You can find out how many hours you have spent using the device. And you can drill down and take a look at the reports on the categories of apps that you've been using. So if you have been using a lot of productivity apps, then you might pat yourself on the back and say, well, maybe I'm using it a bit too much, but at least I'm using it for work-related things. If you have a high percentage of just sitting around playing games, you might think about that too. Mm. So let's double tap screen time, which I have set up. Selected settings, back button, and screen, screen, all devices, button. It's important, especially for kids, if you have any, to understand that any iDevice, 
Macs are not included at this point. Any iDevice logged in to your iCloud account is counted against screen time and any restrictions that you might set. So we'll talk very briefly in a bit about how you can set restrictions on certain types of games that kids might play, uh, either categories of app or specific app. Now, little Johnny or Janie might say, well, I'm going to get around this by doing a lot of gaming on my phone until my time runs out, and then I'll just switch to my iPad and keep going. (laughs) No, the screen time applies to the iCloud account, not to the device that you are using. That said, if you want to break down the statistics on the data that screen time is collecting about your devices, you can look at the data on a device-by-device basis. Downtime. Schedule time away from the screen button. So we can look at device usage, and now we can also do downtime. And this is where you can schedule your phone not to be available based on a series of criteria. So what's the difference between downtime and do not disturb? Do not disturb pertains exclusively to notifications. You'll be pushed notifications in the background while do not disturb is on, but you won't be notified about them. Downtime is a whole different level because it actually stops the apps from being available to you when you've elected to have some downtime. App limits. Set time limits for apps. Button. Here's where you can impose a bit of discipline on yourself and you can say, I'm only going to allow myself, say, 30 minutes a day on social media. And it doesn't have to be 30 minutes all at once. You can use that 30 minutes anytime during a 24-hour period. But once you get to that 30 minutes, your social media apps start to complain at you. It makes it very difficult to get in. Always allowed. Choose apps you want at all times. Button. Some apps will always be available. And you can specify what those apps are by going into this screen. How you do that in specific detail will cover in the book. I'm conscious that time is marching on. And I want to get to, for me, what is one of the most exciting things about iOS 12 and spend a bit of time on this. Content and privacy restrictions. Block inappropriate content button. This is not new. It has just been moved. Restrictions have been a part of iOS for a wee while. This is where you find it now, and it makes it makes logical sense to put it here. Family heading. Nicola Mosin button. Yes, right. This is the family section. Use screen time passcode button. Use a passcode to secure screen t- share across. Now, I have a bunch of people in my family sharing group. There's Bonnie and my iOS using kids. I have a son, Richard. You may have heard him if you listen to Mushroom FM. He's a uh, Android devotee, so he's not included in this. But everybody else in my immediate circle is using iThings. And we're part of a family sharing group. But only my youngest daughter is coming up because she is of an age where Apple deems it appropriate for me to impose restrictions if I want to. She's 15 and she may well disagree with me about that, but that's not unusual for a 15 year old, is it? So because she's of the age that she is, Apple allows me to go in and remotely control her phone in terms of these settings that we just saw before for my phone. So I can set downtime, I can enforce app restriction limits. And I really like this approach because as a tech using parent, I'm not one of those people who believes that all screen time is necessarily a bad thing and that people should put their nose in a book and all that kind of stuff. I think that's very 20th century thinking. I don't want kids who should be doing homework frittering away their time with social media and games. But there are many educational apps that are engaging and entertaining as well as being educational and informative. And I don't want to stop my daughter from using those apps whenever she wants to get some homework done and do some research and learn some things in a fun way. What I want to stop, though, is overuse of Snapchat and Facebook and things like that when you know she should be doing homework. And so you can set a series of restrictions on how much time certain categories or specific apps can be used. And they can vary depending on whether it's the weekend or weekdays. So it's a very flexible system. Now, there are many features in iOS 12. There's the cool measuring app, which kind of turns your phone into a tape measure. There will soon be group FaceTime calling. There will be the eSIM technology, or there is the eSIM technology that will get a software implementation in the newer iPhones that came out this year. So there's a lot to talk about. And if you want to ask about or discuss any of those things, then we'll open it up for questions and you can take this conversation in any direction that you would like. What I want to spend the rest of my sort of formal presentation time on before we do open it up for questions 
is Siri Shortcuts. I am very excited about Siri Shortcuts because, in my opinion, it has catapulted Apple back into a leadership role in the virtual assistant space. And goodness only knows it has been languishing in recent times. You know, I spend a lot of money on Apple stuff, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to call a spade a spade. When you see what the Google Assistant has been able to do, what Alexa has been able to do, in recent times, Apple's offerings really have needed significant improvement. This doesn't mean that Apple is better in every respect. I still think that when you ask Google about some fact or other, nothing beats the intelligence that Google has. Thanks to the integration with Google Search, nothing beats Google in terms of all the crawling that it does on the web for giving you a specific answer to a specific question. And while you can't take the long press of the side button, or if you have an older phone, the long press of the home button, and assign that to Google, you can have Google, and for that matter, Alexa, on your phone. The changes that Apple have made with iOS 12, I think, play to Apple's strengths. And they are, we are really concerned about privacy. And that rings a bell with a lot of people, because so are a lot of other people concerned about privacy. You know, we're now dealing with yet another major Facebook uh, privacy breach for those who are still on that thing. And people are worried about that stuff. So Apple's really gaining some traction over that narrative. And they're seeking to create a new narrative with iOS 12. And it is essentially this. We want to make Siri, our personal assistant, really personal. And to make Siri really personal, we've got to give you the ability to customize Siri for your specific needs. Just like if you have the pleasure to work with a really good personal assistant over time, they really get to know you. They know your quirks your preferences. They even sometimes start to mimic your writing style. I mean, a good personal assistant is like gold dust. And Apple is trying to deliver that experience with iOS 12. All of the ways that they're doing this are being referred to as Siri shortcuts. You can have Siri shortcuts that are generated by the system, observing what you are doing and making them easier to do again thanks to assigning a Siri voice command to them. Next, there are Siri shortcuts that are available from third-party apps. Siri is much more capable for third-party app developers than it has ever been before. There are some new intents. That's a technical term that essentially means that a developer can tell Siri what it intends to do with certain information. And there are various other ways of machine learning that help an app developer create a bunch of customized Siri commands. And these commands are also known as shortcuts. Now, on top of this, there is the shortcuts app. And that's the one that is a bit daunting to some people. And some people are under the misconception that you have to use the shortcuts app to make every Siri shortcut. And so they stay away from them. Actually, that's not true. And I hope to illustrate that in this demonstration, because I'd love for you to really embrace and get into shortcuts if you haven't done so already. If you've used Workflow before, which used to be in the iOS App Store, and Workflow started life as an independent third-party app, and it blew everybody away. It wasn't accessible initially, and then blind people went to Workflow, and Workflow said, yeah, we need to fix this, and they did. Boy, did they fix it. And that impressed Apple. Apple gave them an award. Apple eventually bought Workflow. The Shortcuts app that is available from the App Store, this doesn't come on your phone. You've got to go to your App Store, search for Shortcuts, and then download the app called Shortcuts by Apple. There are a few Shortcuts results that come up. The one you want is by Apple itself. That is the successor to Workflow. There might be a couple of exceptions, but generally if you've created Workflows in the past from the old version of the Workflow app, they will continue to work. It isn't a quite 100% accurate analogy, but the way I've told people about the Shortcuts app is it's a little bit like JAWS scripts for your iPhone. The reason why I say that is that Shortcuts created in the Shortcuts app can string a bunch of seemingly unrelated things together so that they occur in a sequence. 
Now, I suppose that it could be argued that to use the Shortcuts app, you may need a little bit of a head for programming, but I'm not sure that's necessarily always true. I think what you do need a head for is structure. You need a head to, that understands the logic, and the logic is pretty simple. Shortcuts work by stringing a series of actions together, and you can choose from a wide range of actions that do different things. Now, when you've chosen an action, that action will generate an output, and the output of your first action becomes the input of your next action. So order and sequence when you're structuring a shortcut using the Shortcuts app is significant. If that all sounds like way gobbledygook, don't worry about it because there are manuals available. Apple has produced a Shortcuts user guide. And also there are samples that you can use without having to play with this stuff. It is a very nice user interface though, completely voiceover friendly. And in iOS 12 without the eye, we actually take you through writing a sample shortcut. So if you follow those steps really carefully, you will end up with a shortcut that works at the end and you'll get a feel for how to make these. Well, that one's pretty basic, but it's just a sample one. So I'm just going to ask Siri, open shortcuts. Shortcuts, edit button. There are two tabs on this screen. Selected library tab one of two. And flicking right. Gallery tab two of two. If you're not familiar with this sort of thing, then the gallery is probably the place to start because you can have a look at some shortcuts that Apple has created and you can download these and use them yourself. So if I double tap gallery. Gallery heading. And flick to the right. Search. Search shortcuts for sharing button. Wonderful widget shortcuts button. Run shortcuts in other apps button. Shortcuts for Apple Music button. Essentials heading. Let's have a look at shortcuts for Apple Music and just check out a few examples of what can be done. Shortcuts for Apple Music button. So I'll double tap this. Selected gallery back button. Explore Apple Music heading. Control playback heading. See all button. Start, stop and shuffle any way you'd like. Play one and shuffle. Play a song of your choosing and shuffle the rest of your library button. Music timer, automatically stop your music after some time, button. Shuffle a list playlist, mix any list playlist added to your library, button. Play an artist, start playing music by a predefined artist immediately, button. Another reason why these shortcuts are a bit like JAWS scripts is that you can download them and have a look at how they were constructed. And that often happens with not all JAWS scripts, particularly the commercial ones. But in many cases, JAWS script developers don't mind including their JSS files, their source files, so you can open them up in a text editor or the JAWS script editor and take a look at the way that the scripts are structured, and that gives you some useful knowledge. You can do this with shortcuts as well. You can download these shortcuts, open them up, and have a look at how Apple did what they did, and that may well inspire you. You can modify these shortcuts and create something that's unique to you, and it helps just to broaden your knowledge about what's possible. You can do a lot by stringing some pretty complex things together with Siri shortcuts, and people are. For example, you can give a command to Siri that says, home time, at which point it might play your favorite podcast, set the heat at home if you have home automation to a certain temperature, send a text message to your significant other to say that you're leaving the office, set Apple Maps to get you transit directions home, and all just do it with one Siri command. It's very powerful, and the thing is, it's very personal. Now, I do have sympathy for you if your eyes are glazing over and you think, listen, I am not a geek. I am never going to get into this stuff. There's a couple of things. The first I would say to you is that other people can write shortcuts and share them. If you are an assistive technology instructor, for example, and you're dealing with somebody who has some difficulty with the iPhone, we sometimes forget those of us who love this stuff and find it intuitive that touch screens are not intuitive for everybody and they are actually quite daunting for some people who see them as a necessary evil to get the apps that they really want to use, but they would prefer not to use a touchscreen if they could. So if you're an AT instructor, you could create these shortcuts, learn how to do them and create these shortcuts for other people. And, you know, I guess, I guess make the learning curve a little bit less steep. I don't think we should ever 
as 80 people want to shield people from the touchscreen entirely because it's a bit hard to use the phone without engaging with the touchscreen to some degree. But you can do some really nice things and I think it has really good health and safety implications as well, just efficiency implications. So other people can write these shortcuts for you and share them with you and you can install them on your phone. They are safe. Apple will not let you do anything that's going to compromise your system with these shortcuts because in the end, Apple still controls the kind of actions that are available. And the other thing I would say is that the shortcuts app is the really geeky side of making shortcuts. There are other ways to make shortcuts. They are really easy, I promise you, for anybody to do. And they're sitting right there in your Siri settings. And I want to have a look at those now. One of the confusing things at this point with these sorts of shortcuts that are provided by third-party developers is that you may find them in several places. You may find them in the settings of the app itself. You may find them organized by heading in the Siri settings, and we'll have a look at that in a minute. Or you may have to use the app to perform a certain function first, and then the next time you visit Siri settings, if that function has been enabled by the app developer as a potential Siri shortcut, then it might suggest that you assign that function a Siri shortcut. So a good place to start is to go into Siri settings, which I'll do now. Open Siri settings. Here are my settings. Settings, back settings. I'll flick to the right. Siri in search, heading, Siri shortcuts, heading. My shortcuts, 29 button. Currently, I have made 29 Siri shortcuts. And we'll have a look at what I've done with Siri shortcuts so far. That will give you an example of what's possible. So I'll double tap. Siri in search, back button. And I'll flick to the right. My shortcuts, heading, edit, button. My tuner pro, listen to C-SPAN radio, play WCSP C-SPAN radio. Actions available. The My Tuner Pro app which is a kind of a tune-in rival. I do use it sometimes on my Apple TV and I use it on my Amazon Echo. They do a good job, actually. Has Siri shortcuts. And while I have the pro version, I'm pretty sure that these are also available in the free MyTuner Radio app as well. The iOS app is not perfect in terms of accessibility, but getting these Siri shortcuts up and running has been a snap. Now, what that means, for example, is I can say to Siri, listen to Mushroom FM. My My tuner pro, play the sound. I'll stop that. And there is Mushroom FM, just worth a Siri command. I want to be upfront and say that it is kind of labor-intensive setting this up. So, for example, with Android, you can say play Mushroom FM on TuneIn Radio, and it will just go ahead and do it. And, of course, you can do that with uh, Amazon Echo and Google Home as well. It is not yet that simple with Apple. So we haven't reached sort of personal assistant nirvana with Apple yet. You have to program these individually. So I have a bunch of radio stations that I listen to on a regular basis. For example, I can say... Listen to Radio New Zealand National. The sound led her to a Baptist church. There we go. And Radio New Zealand National is now playing. So I don't mind setting these up because once I've done it, it's a one-off setup process. And once it's done, it's super convenient. I'm going to go back to Siri settings now. App switcher. My tuner pro. Act settings. Active. Settings. Settings, Siri and search, back button, my edit, my tuner pro, listen to C-SPAN radio, play WCSP C-SPAN radio, actions available. I was listening to the Kavanaugh hearing like many people last week, so I decided to assign C-SPAN radio to a my tuner pro shortcut so I could just say listen to C-SPAN radio. So how does this work? Well, let's double tap this one. Cancel button. And I'll flick to the right. Done button. Play WCSP C-SPAN radio, heading, My Tuner Pro, recorded phrase, listen to C-SPAN radio. There are a number of things going on here. First, it tells me the function. So in this case, it's play WCSP radio, and then it tells me the app that wants to perform that function, which is My Tuner Radio Pro. 
And how I got this shortcut in the first place was simply to search for the station in my Tuner Pro and start to listen to it. Just by listening to it, I was then able to go back right into Siri settings and review the suggested shortcuts based on Siri's artificial intelligence. And because the developers of my Tuner Pro have integrated Siri shortcut intelligence into their app right there because I'd listened to the station was an option for play WCSP under the suggested shortcuts. And I was able to double tap it and we're on the same screen now that I was when I first set this up to work. I've already recorded a Siri voice command for this function, but if I hadn't, it would give me the opportunity to record one and I will double tap. You'll hear the traditional Siri beep and then I will give it the command and then we can review what Siri thinks I said to be sure that it's accurate. If you try and assign a command that either you've assigned somewhere else or that Siri knows about through a system function, it won't let you create a duplicate Siri command. So that's pretty nice. Let's back out of here now. Setting settings and I'll review the shortcuts. Siri, Siri, my shortcuts, suggested shortcuts, head, my shortcuts, 29, Siri, my edit, my tuner pro, my tuner pro, my. I'm going to flick through quickly the my tuner pro ones because they're all the same concept, basically telling my tuner pro to play a specific radio station with a Siri command. Might, 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 just press record, record this, make a new recording. Somehow I don't think it will be considered the world's best kept secret that I like recording apps. One of the apps I really like for a certain function is just press record. And that certain function is being able to record something when you might not be expecting to record something. So I have this on my Apple Watch. Just press record will also record on your Apple Watch. It will record on your phone. There's a Mac version as well if you're a Mac user. And it will send it all to iCloud, which is fantastic. And I have this on my watch as a complication on my watch face because sometimes we get into a situation where, say, Bonnie's guide dog is being refused entry in a cab or occasionally in a restaurant, although that hasn't happened for a long, long time, thankfully. But you just never know when you might just need to capture something when you least expect it. And with just press record on the watch face, I can just double tap and it's recording on the watch and it will appear on iCloud at the end of it. Well, you can also now assign a Siri shortcut so that just press record records with a quick Siri shortcut. And that might be just some sort of moment you want to capture that's special to you, you know. So I can now just say record this. And when I say record this to Siri, it opens just press record. It starts to record it. And that's really all there is to it. Just a quick record this to Siri. Absolutely fantastic. Hopefully this will change over time, but at the moment, Just Press Record is another of those apps like My Tuner Radio, where it doesn't have its own section in its settings or in Siri settings. It uses Siri intelligence, which means that the shortcut doesn't show up unless you first make a recording with Just Press Record. And once you've done the recording, then it will come up as a suggested shortcut when you go into Siri settings. So if you find that an app is in its what's new section, you know, when you go to the app store and you look at the updates and they tell you what's new, if there's an app there that says, we now have Siri shortcuts, squee, <laughs> and you can't find them in a dedicated section of Siri settings or in the settings of the app itself, it's probably using Siri intelligence and you have to use the function before the function becomes available to you as a suggested Siri shortcut. So that's a rule of thumb there. I'll flick right. Twitter, new direct message, create new direct message. This one is self-explanatory. The Twitter app now has some basic Siri shortcuts support. This is the official Twitter app from Twitter. Just say new direct message. The edit field pops up and you can specify who you want to send a direct message to. Twitter, new tweet, create new tweet. See, it's just like vinyl and cassettes and all those other things that are coming back. What's old is new again. Remember the old days where you could actually dictate a tweet through Siri? Well, you can't quite do all of that yet, but you can now say a command that brings up the Twitter edit field, and then you can use dictation if you want to dictate the text. What I tend to do if I want to compose a tweet is say new tweet. The edit field pops up. 
and then I use Braille screen input to actually Braille in the tweet and send it. Overcast, overcast the archers, play the archers, play the most recently played or first unplayed episode. Marco, who is the developer of Overcast, is one of the most savvy iOS developers that there is. And when he came out with the iOS 12 compatible version of Overcast, it just blew me away. One of the big advantages of the official Apple Podcast app was that it had exclusive Siri support in the past. And that was very nice. You could walk up to your Apple TV or use your phone and just say, play the Blindside podcast, for example, and it would. There is still that convenience there with the Apple Podcasts app and that you don't need to do anything. You don't need to set anything up. You can just give the Apple Podcasts app the command and it will go ahead and start to play. You've got to do a bit more work to get things set up the way you want an Overcast. You've got to come into Siri settings or to the Overcast settings, find the podcast or the playlist that you want to assign a Siri shortcut to and record the phrase associated with the shortcut. So sure, there's some initial effort. But again, once it's done, it's done. And for me, it's worth it because Overcast, in my view, is such a significantly better podcast app. Overcast, Overcast Kiwi News, play Kiwi News, play the most recently played or first unplayed episode. That plays a particular playlist of New Zealand news. Overcast, Overcast all episodes, play all episodes, play the most recently. So I can just say to Siri, Overcast all episodes, and it just starts to play. Overcast, Overcast recommend, 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 star the current episode. There are some great social features in Overcast, and one of them is the integration with Twitter so that you can have a look at what your friends on Twitter are recommending, what they're listening to. But it's a bit of an effort, right? You've got to go in there and double tap the recommend button and stuff. But now you can just say to Siri, say, recommend this or whatever command you want to assign. And then you've recommended it. Overcast, Overcast, next, next podcast. Love that. You've heard enough of a podcast. Just say to Siri, Overcast, next. And thanks to Siri Shortcuts, it will skip to the next podcast. Brilliant. Overcast, Overcast, previous, previous podcast, Overcast, Overcast, play, play, resume the most recently played or first unplayed episode. Sometimes you might be listening to some music, but you forgot that you were. And then you perform a two-finger double tap wanting to get back to your podcast, and you think, oh, it's the music. So you've got to open the app and go to now playing and double tap the play button. Now you can just say Overcast Play and it will press the play button in Overcast for you and resume from where you left off in the podcast. Overcast, Overcast Back, Seek Back, Go Back by your chosen number of seconds. This is nice too. So you can just, if you missed something, somebody talked to you, you can just say to Siri Overcast Back and it will take you back by whatever you've specified in settings by say 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Overcast Overcast skip, seek. F- Overcast skip does a similar thing, but going forward. TripIt, travel plans, upcoming travel plans. I use a wonderful app called TripIt, and if you travel like I do, you will want to use this too if you're not already, because what you can do is forward all your confirmations, whether it be airline reservations or hotel stays, whatever it is, forward them to a single email address, and TripIt builds an itinerary for you and keeps track of what's going on with all your travel. And you can add it through an iCal feed right to your calendar as well. But now with this Siri shortcut, I can just ask what my next travel plan event is. And TripIt just spits it right back and tells me through Siri. Shortcuts. Check my network info. Run network info. Now, this one is the network info example that we created in iOS 12 without the i. So this one is actually made by the shortcuts app. And you can read how to create that in the book. Mail. Check my pending folder. Pending. I have a folder called pending where really important things I need to get done are there. So now I can just say check my pending folder. It opens the mail app. It puts me in the pending folder and I can quickly get on with having a look at important mail that needs a response. If I back out of here. My shortcuts. Let's have a look at what else is going on. Suggested shortcuts. Heading. First of all, we have a heading called suggested shortcuts. And this is involving intelligence that Siri is employing to look at the things that I'm doing. And where I've done something where a shortcut is available, it will suggest that I can assign a shortcut. Some of these things are one-off things, so you won't always want to assign a shortcut to everything, but some of them are useful. Overcast, 
Play Homefront. Play the most recently played or first unplayed episode button. Homefront is another BBC radio drama I listen to, and it's only just come back for another season. The Intelligence and Siri and Overcast together are realising that I've been listening to this podcast a bit lately, and so it's suggesting that I might want to assign a Siri voice command to play that podcast through Overcast. Weather gods, weather sounds. What does the weather sound like for today button? And this is Weather Gods, which has also implemented Siri shortcuts, and I'm a Weather Gods user, so it's suggesting that I assign a voice command to this. All shortcuts button. Now we have all shortcuts. Add shortcuts for things you frequently do so you can get them done just by asking Siri. When we all go shor- into all shortcuts, Siri and search. I'm going to use my rotor. Character, words, headings, speak, head, oh, mail, to navigate now, by headings. Shortcuts. Clock, head, FaceTime, L-I-R-E, mail, head, see all, but maps, head, messages, see all, but music, my tuner, see all, but overcast, see all, but phone, heading, see all, safari. So what you see is that the apps that support Siri shortcuts are here in alphabetical order. As I say, not all of these apps will appear here. Some of them only appear in sort of Siri intelligence, but I think as app developers get a better handle on how best to handle this, we'll pretty much see all apps coming up in this list. Currently, they are not. I am going to open it up for questions now. There's a lot more that I have talked about relating to iOS 12 in iOS 12 without the I, available from the Mosin Consulting website at www.mosin.org iOS 12. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting, on the web at mosin.org.